Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. Uh, if you are a guest or a visitor, welcome. Uh, we are glad that you are here. Uh, my name is Penny, and I'm the pastor here at Christ the King, and uh, it is good to be with you and to be in God's Word. Um, and so this morning, the portion of His Word that we're going to be looking at is Ruth chapter 2, Ruth 2. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there in just a few moments. The passage will be projected on the screens in front of you. Uh, we're looking at Ruth 2, and this is the second week in a four-week series. It is uh, very uh, convenient that Ruth is only four chapters when we needed four weeks, but um, uh, we're in week two of, of Ruth. And if you remember from last week, Ruth and Naomi are these uh, women who have left Moab, the country of Moab, and they're returning to the land of Bethlehem, and they're going to Bethlehem because they have heard that the Lord has visited his people in Bethlehem. The Lord has come and visited them and brought with them harvest and food. The famine that they had fled is now over, and they're coming looking for sustenance. But we know that both Ruth and Naomi come as widows. They have lost their husbands. Uh, Naomi has lost her sons. They come as widows, and though they're coming to this city, this town where there is food, where hopefully sustenance will come, they're still coming as those in need. You see, they're coming into a situation that is wrought with danger, that is filled with fear, where anxiety is pushing in upon them. And what they need in this time is care. They're in need of care. And that's what Ruth 2 instructs us about. So let's go ahead and read Ruth 2, beginning in verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime Boaz said to her, 
come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of flour. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with these young women, lest in, one, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we do come to your word acknowledging that we are a people in need. We are a people who need your care. Father, we come bringing anxiety and worry. Some of us come bringing celebration and joy. But we know that regardless of what we bring with us, what we need is you. And so we pray that you would minister to us now, that you would awaken us to your beauty, and that you would lead us in your way. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So many of you know that uh, over the past four or so years, I've had the privilege of being a part of a pastor's cohort. This is a group of nine pastors from all over North America, not just in the United States, but we actually have a, a pastor in this group who's from Edmonton, Alberta. So kids, maybe this afternoon, you can go online and look and see where Alberta is, where Edmonton is. It's very, very far north. Um, it is cold. It is very cold. I mean, even by Canadian standards, it is cold. And he comes from Edmonton, Alberta, and he's part of this group. And this group of pastors, we've been with one another. We've committed to being in one another's lives. And once a year, we all congregate together at a lake house in Hickory, North Carolina, where we spend the entire week together. And we spend the week talking and laughing. We spend the week arguing and poking fun at one another. We spend the week going on runs and eating great food and staying up late and talking and praying. It's, it's really a beautiful time. And over the course of the week, at some point, we each get a turn uh, where we are kind of the center of, of attention, where we take everything that we've experience over the last year, where we take our joys and our celebrations, our anxieties and our worries that have built over the last few months or last few weeks, and we, we share it with the rest of the group. And then everybody in the group gets a chance to speak into our lives. And sometimes they speak words that call us to repentance. Sometimes they'll speak words that 
call us to, to celebrate, sometimes they speak words of truth. It's a sweet time where we are together and with one another. And over the last four years, I've come to see that these men aren't simply pastors and they're not simply friends, but these men are people of care. They care for me, for my soul. That these men speak into my life in ways that few people do. And I need that. And the truth is, is y'all need that too. Y'all need those people in your lives who, in the midst of sadness or difficulty, will come near to you. Who, in the times of celebration and rejoicing, will surround you with rejoicing. We are in need of people of care. And that is beautiful, isn't it, when we experience that? To have those people who surround us, who tell us truth, who speak words of grace over us, who are with us in our time of need. Because the truth is, we are all in need. We are in need, and what we need is someone of care to come into our lives to be with us. I mean, that's beautiful, isn't it? Doesn't that sound like a beautiful song that would be sung amidst the clanging of anger and confusion and frustration? I mean, how different are those words than the words that we often hear in our world? Words of care, of love, of peace. Now, as I say that, that these are people of care to me, I'm not talking about this space where there's no disagreement, right? I mean, I just said that there are nine pastors, and believe it or not, pastors sometimes have strong opinions. <laughs> and sometimes those opinions conflict with the other opinions of the men in the room. No, it's not a sitting around the fire doing this sort of kumbaya office. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who see our need, who see your pain, and come to us in the midst of it. Come with care. It sounds good, doesn't it? It sounds like something that I need and something that you need. We need people of care. And that's what Ruth and Naomi need. You see, they, they need a person who is going to see their need and come towards them. And their need is real. Their need is real. You see, Naomi and Ruth, they have left the land of Moab and they've come to Bethlehem. The famine is over and so surely they will find food and yet there is still a place of need. They need food, they need grain, they need sustenance. Remember, they're widows. They don't have land, they haven't planted a crop, they have no food, they have no way of getting the food for themselves, right? They are in need. But their need is deeper than simply not having access to food. Their need is is more than that. And we're given a hint at Ruth's need by just the very way in which she's referred to in this passage. Did you hear how she's spoken of? She's not simply Ruth. She's Ruth the Moabite. Right? We heard that in verse 2 and 21. The narrator calls her that, Ruth the Moabite. In verse 10, Ruth calls herself the foreigner. In verse 6, the laborer calls her the Moabite woman who came from where? That's right, Moab. It's repeated over and over and over again. It's as though the narrator doesn't want us to forget that she's not from around here, that she's not an Israelite, that she is a foreigner. And not just any foreigner, she's a Moabite. And you remember the Moabites. Well, first, you remember what time this book of Ruth is set in, right? It's the time of the judges. 
And in the time of the judges, God's people would rebel against God, and as a way of bringing discipline upon his people, God would send armies, would send nations against his people. And in Judges chapter 3, the nation that comes to make war against Israel is the Moabites. And for 18 years, they ruled over Israel. They were Israel's enemies. And that's who Ruth was. She was a part of this people who were the enemies of God. And so you can imagine, as she's walking around the town of Bethlehem, that maybe the Israelites were looking upon her with a little bit of suspicion. That's Ruth, the Moabite. As she goes out into the fields to harvest, you you could imagine that maybe they wondered if her love for Naomi was truly sincere. You see, she's in need because of who she is and where she's come from. But it's not only her place of origin that puts her in need, it's also her poverty. And we know that she's poor because of verses 2 and 3. We're told that she has to go out and glean in the fields. Now, there were specific laws about gleaning that were given to Israel. You can find them in Leviticus 19. In Leviticus 19, God instructs his people about how they are supposed to harvest their fields. And what they're supposed to do on the day of harvest is they harvest the interior part, but they leave the outside part of the fields. And they were to leave this outside part of the field for the poor, for the needy, for the impoverished. They were supposed to be able to come and they would glean and they would have food, they would have sustenance. And so this was a way of the community as a whole to bear the burden of the impoverished in their midst. But it was more than that. They weren't supposed to just leave the outer edges of their field. When the people, the reapers, were going through the field and they would drop grain on the ground, they would miss some of the sheaves. They were supposed to leave them. They weren't supposed to go back and pick them up and put them into their load. They were supposed to leave them for the poor and for the needy. You see, it was only the impoverished. It was only those who weren't reapers, those who didn't have land, who needed to glean in this way. And that's Ruth. That's why in verses 2 and 3, we're told that she goes out to glean. And so we see that she's poor. She has a country of origin that would cause her to be an outsider. She has need. But her need is also revealed in her vulnerability. This is alluded to in verses 9 and 22. You see, a single woman who would have been in the fields harvesting, she would have been by herself. And in the fields, this would have been a place of vulnerability for them. It's implied in verses 9 and 22 that the fields are a place of danger. Because in the fields, a woman who is by herself would have been threatened with abuse. You see, the implication of these verses is that the men could, and seemingly at times did, take advantage of the situation. They would assault or abuse an unsuspecting woman. And they would do so in the fields, and no one would know any better. You see, there are threats all around Naomi and Ruth. There are threats all around her, from her poverty, her nationality, her vulnerability... Ruth is in need. She's in need of a person of care. She's in need of someone who would come near in the midst of her need and provide care for her. And that's what she finds in Boaz. 
That's what she finds in Boaz. We're introduced to this new character in verse 1. Boaz, we're told, is a relative of Elimelech, who is Naomi's husband. And we're told that Boaz was a worthy man. And he shows his worth by providing Ruth with care. And we see this care in two ways. We see it in his protection and his provision for Ruth. His protection is made evident in verses 8 through 9. Boaz says to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that, you, that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? You see, Boaz knows the threat that is before Ruth as she's in the field gleaning, and so he provides for her safety in numbers by calling her to stay with the women that are employed by him, the women of his clan. And so surely this would have also entailed Boaz saying to the women, like, I know she's not from here. I know that you wouldn't normally want to hang out with a Moabite, but you need to take her in. You need to let her be with you. You see, in doing this, Boaz is providing care for her. He is protecting her. And he says, he goes on and even tells the men to leave her alone, to let her be. He's providing protection. And this isn't lost on Naomi. When she hears from Ruth what Boaz has done, she says in verse 22, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. You see, the fields were a place of threat. But for Ruth, Boaz's field was a place of safety, a place of peace, a place of protection. But Boaz's care for Ruth extends beyond the protecting of her in her time of vulnerability. He also provides for her in her need. We see his provision. He not only encourages her to glean, but he says to her to stay in his fields, right? In verse 8, do not glean in another field or leave this one. When you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Now, it would be easy to miss this. But what Boaz is doing here is not just protecting her in regards to her safety, but Boaz is providing for her with great generosity. Because the gleaners were expected to go from field to field. So they would go and they would glean in Boaz's field, but then they'd go to the neighbor's field and then to the next neighbor's field. And that way the entire community bore together the burden of the poor. But what Boaz is saying by saying, stay in my field, is he's saying, I will take your burden on myself all of your burden. Don't go into other fields. Don't go glean from my neighbors. I will bear your burden myself. He alone will provide for her needs. And he provides abundantly. When it's time to take a break from the harvest and it's mealtime, we read in verse 14 that Boaz said, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. Now this would have been a very odd thing for Boaz to have done. It would have been a strange thing to, to be done because Ruth was, wasn't a reaper and she wasn't a laborer working for Boaz. She was a widow. She was a woman who would have only been, had access to the leftovers not to sit at the landowner's table. It would have been strange, and yet Boaz does this strange act of care. She sits with him, and we're told that he passed her the grain. 
Now, commentators tell us that the fact that the narrator leaves that detail in is probably an allusion to the fact that Boaz is showing special favor to Ruth. That he's not, he's not allowing someone else to serve her, but he himself is serving her. And when she serves, she eats all that she can eat. She's filled full. And so you imagine the scene, don't you? This woman, this vulnerable w- widow, sitting amongst these hardened laborers, and the landowner invites her to hold out her hands. And he fills it with grain. And she eats. And she fills his ha- her hands again. And she eats. And he fills her hands. And she eats, and she eats, and she eats, until her belly is full. Now think about how much grain she must have eaten. Right? I mean, like, we, we don't eat a lot of grain, right? Grain is like what we eat on the side so we don't, like, gorge ourselves on chicken and, and steak, right? It, it's just the little side to our entree. But in her empty belly, all she has is grain. And she eats and she eats and she eats until she is full. And there were even some left over. Boaz is providing for her abundantly. And his abundant provision even goes beyond the meal. Because he says to his men in verse 15, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. Do you see what he's doing? She is given access not only to the leftovers, but to the very sheaves. Boaz is going beyond what was expected of him culturally and going beyond what was required of him by the law. He's allowing Ruth to glean even before the reapers were done with their work. His generosity is immense. She gleaned an ephah of barley, over 30 pounds. Over 30 pounds of barley along with the leftover meal, He has been extravagant in his care for Ruth. Boaz was a man of care. He was a man of care, and and he's going to be known as a man of care from this time and forevermore. And maybe he was known already because he was a man of great worth, we're told. And so maybe the community knew that this was the kind of man that Boaz was. And as I started to read this passage and I started to think about Boaz and what the community would have known of him and what, how we speak of him now, it started to make me wonder if I'm known as a person of care. It made me wonder if, if we're known as people of care, people who bring peace, if we're known as people who are extravagant with our generosity. If we were to be these kind of people, just imagine, if we were to be these kind of people where generosity and love and peace, they just overflow us. I mean, how do you think that would affect the lives of our neighbors? If, if the neighborhood kids knew that our homes were the homes where they could come and they could play and they could laugh, that, that our homes were safe places for them, where they weren't hearing the yell of mom or the abandonment of dad, but that these were places where they would be received and welcomed. I think that would impact those kids. Or what if our neighbors and our coworkers they knew that in their time of loneliness and worry, that, that in our homes they would find a listening ear, 
that they would find people not, not shag, wagging a finger of condemnation at them, but they would find people of care. I think that would affect them, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that affect our neighborhoods? Wouldn't that change the lives of people around us? These small acts of care, I'm not talking about monumental institutional revolution here. I'm talking about just little seeds of care to our neighbors. And not just our believing neighbors, but our non-believing neighbors. That, that we would extend care and peace and love to them. To the kids in the, in the cafeteria who are sitting by themselves because they are new and they don't know anyone. They need someone inviting them into community to our neighbors, our co-workers, who in the midst of anger and strife and malice, what they are needing are people of peace, people of love, people of care. If we were those people, wouldn't that minister to those in need? It would. This is who we are to be. Instruments of care for the good of our neighbors. That's who we are to be. That's who Boaz was. He was an instrument of care for Ruth. Did you notice that when he starts to shower her with care and love, how she responded? She's taken aback, isn't she? In verse 11, she says, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? You can hear it, can't you? She's saying, I, I don't understand. This doesn't make any sense. It's unfathomable. I'm a Moabite. Why would you love me? You should despise me. You should have disdain for me. At the best, you should ignore me. But you have showered me with care and mercy. Why? And did you see what Boaz said? I heard of your care for Naomi. And in verse 12, he says, the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Do you hear what he's saying? He is saying that ultimately, he isn't the one who is showering her with protection and provision. He is but the instrument of God's care. That she has come and found protection under the refuge of his wings. Right? That image of those wings, it's, it's of a bird sheltering her children. Those in need, it's caring for them and protecting them from danger. And Boaz is saying that, yes, I was the one who extended care to you. I was the one who protected you and extended provision to you. But it was the Lord who was doing it. He's saying, I am but an instrument. God is the one who is working and acting through Boaz for Ruth. And y'all, that's who we are. That is what the church is to be. That we are to be instruments of God's care for the sake of our neighbors. Do you know that Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 3, he says that we should always be prepared to make a defense for the hope that is in us. And he says right before that, that we should be prepared for when they ask us about our hope. The, <clears throat> the implication there is that we would live lives that are so different from the world, that is filled with love and care and peace and truth, that people would look at us and go, how is it that you live this way? That is the expectation that the New Testament has upon the church. It is the same question that Ruth asked Boaz that Peter expects non-believers to ask of us. And y'all, that is amazing to think about. 
that as those who have experienced God's care and his love, that we would be instruments of that care and demonstrators of that care in such a way that people would go, this doesn't make sense. Because I look at the world and I see the way that people talk to me in the world. And I see a world that is divided. And I see a world that is full of anger and malice. And that's not y'all. That's the expectation that God has for his people. And how can we not be like that when God has showered us with that care? When he has showered us with that love? Right? When he has given us that peace. That that is the way in which we are to be engaging with our neighbors. Friends, we shower them with care and protection and provision and peace because that is what God has done for us. I mean, God didn't send us Boaz, he sent us Jesus, who is our redeemer, our protector, and our provider. And so as those who have received his care, we are now instruments of that care for a people for a world, for neighbors who are in need. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have showered us with your care, that you have shown us love and mercy, grace and peace, and you have done it when we were your enemies, that you sent your son to die and to rise again and to ascend into heaven so that we would have new life, and you did it while we were in rebellion against you. And so we thank you. We're in awe at your grace. We thank you for your mercy and ask that we would be merciful, that you would teach us to be caring for the neighbor, for the widow, for the orphan, for those in need, so that we would see the needs around us and we would be instruments of your care to a world in need of your grace. So Father, I pray that you would equip us, that you would empower us, and that you would lead us. I pray all this in Jesus' name and God's people said together, amen.